You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly, day by day, by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. All right, good morning. Some of you recognize that. That's from a classic. Uh, my name is Jim Mia Sherrill, and I'm one of the elders here. And given that Pastor Mark is, is not here, um, Pastor Max and Pastor Sonny thought it would be mildly entertaining and humorous for me to speak. So anyway, here I am. So prayer can be a challenging topic. For some of us, it's sort of like long-term care insurance. We know it's important, but we're not quite clear on all the details. But we shouldn't feel bad if we're not quite sure how to pray or what to pray for. In fact, many folks in the Bible had questions about prayer. For example, Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And believe it or not, this was written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. And even Jesus' disciples asked Jesus how to pray. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So if we're a little confused about prayer, then we're in very good company. A big reason for some of our confusion about prayer is related to the myths and misconceptions floating around about prayer. So we need to debunk these misconceptions about prayer. Indeed, these misconceptions can cause some of the frustrations that we may have with prayer itself. And the devil would like nothing more 
than for us to become so confused that we just give up on this whole prayer thing itself. And as we know, the devil is pretty crafty. After all, we saw what the devil did to Adam and Eve in the garden. And the challenge is that these misconceptions are based on a truth that is then twisted into a lie. As the novelist Marisha Pessel said, within every elaborate lie, a kernel of truth. And so this morning, we will be analyzing five misconceptions about prayer, and together, we will separate the kernel of truth from the husk of fiction. So the first misconception is that prayer is a magic wand. So I borrowed this from Pastor Mark. He let me use his. I guess it's too easy to pick on Pastor Mark when he's not here. But um, if we need something, all we need to do is recite some mumbo-jumbo, flick our wand, and whatever we want magically appears. But prayer is not a tool to get whatever we want in life. And similarly, God is not a genie in a bottle. We are to serve God, not the other way around. But you might point me to some verses in the Bible that seem to indicate that prayer is a way to get the desires of our heart. After all, Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Many of us focus on the second half of the verse that talks about God giving us the desires of our heart. But we completely overlook the first half, which talks about how we need to first take delight in the Lord. And this means that our heart needs to be aligned with God's heart. The truth is that God does answer all prayers, but it's not always yes. There are actually three possible answers. Yes, no, and not yet. And as we know, many times it's a no or a not yet. James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So God will say no to our prayers if they are motivated by a selfish or self-centered reason. Not because God is mean, but because God, like a good parent, knows what is truly best for us. I've shared with some of you how a few years ago, I was contacted about a possible position at a different company. It would be for a higher position that would pay well and allow me to supervise other attorneys. And I was extremely excited. And during that time, I prayed that God would open and close doors. Of course, what I really meant was that God would open the door at this new company and close the door on my existing company. And during that time, I started to develop a really negative attitude about my existing job and company. I couldn't wait to move over. And the new job seemed to be very promising. I met with senior management, and things seemed to be progressing well. And all I needed was for a formal offer 
to be made. And I continued to pray that God would open and close doors. A few months passed, and nothing happened. And I continued to pray, and I continued to get assurances that a formal offer was forthcoming shortly. Another month passed, still no offer. And by that time, I realized that God had opened and closed doors. It was just that he had closed the door on that new position and kept the door open on my existing position. And I was deeply disappointed. But God began to show me that this new job was not where he wanted me to be. Sure, there would have been an increase in pay, in prestige, and responsibilities. But this new job would have been so much more stressful and would have taken time away from my family and other activities. I also think that the new position would have given me a false and unhealthy sense of pride. In fact, I quickly began to realize that my current job was so much better than this potential new job. And I knew that God's closing of the door on this new job was truly a blessing from above. So even if God says no or not yet to your prayer requests, you should know that God truly has your best interests in mind, even if it doesn't make sense at the time. The second misconception is that prayer is a fire extinguisher. Sorry, I couldn't find a red one, so I think I should have talked to Kai or Bill. But So we only use it in the case of an emergency when there's nothing else that we can do. As in, I guess all we can do now is pray. But prayer is supposed to be our first choice. And the truth is that prayer should be done at all times. Prayer should be constant. In fact, if you don't feel like praying, that's definitely the time that you should be praying. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Now, I've talked before about keystone habits. And a keystone habits are small habits that have the power to make a big difference in your life. Keystone habits shift other patterns in your life and through this chain reaction, it eventually transforms your entire life. And praying constantly is a spiritual keystone habit that will shift and remake your entire life. Prayer should become second nature to us. Whenever we have a problem, our first instinct should be to pray. And even when we don't have a problem, we should still be praying. Going through the day should become a running dialogue with God. And here are some questions for you to consider as you reflect upon your own prayer life. When is the last time that you prayed? 
When's the last time that you thanked God for something? And when is the last time you expressed your frustration to God? And if you can't remember, that may indicate that you need to spend a little more time in prayer. A number of years back, KCF went through a campaign which required us to set a timer to go off every hour while we were awake. And the purpose of this was to remind us to pray throughout the day. Now, I've adapted this and created my own personal way to try to make this a keystone habit in my life. And as a disclaimer, this may seem blasphemous or sacrilegious, but it's not. It may seem like it's TMI, and it probably is, but here goes. So whenever I use the bathroom, especially at work, (laughs) I actually use that time to pray to God. And it actually serves as a built-in reminder for me to pray throughout the day. So to the point that whenever I go to the bathroom, my brain automatically reminds me it's time to start praying. And so my water closet has become my prayer closet. So I'm not saying that you should do this, although I do see a couple of people who are thinking about it. So Dave, if you want to try it this week, let me know how it goes. <laughs> it, it works really well. So moving on to the third misconception. So the third misconception is that prayer is a tug of war with God. So sometimes we think that we need to beg, bribe, or bargain with God. It's almost as though we are negotiating with God. If you get me the job promotion, then I'll attend Sunday services regularly. Or if you help me find my soulmate, then I'll join a small group. And as an aside, if you're single and you're looking for your soulmate, you may want to just join that small group. That's just a suggestion. So God is not on the other side of the bargaining table from us. He is on our side of the table with us. And the truth is that prayer is a conversation with God. God is not a business partner or a boss that we need to negotiate with. If we view God as a business partner or a boss, then we will approach him in a mercenary, Machiavellian way, saying, well, I'm going to do this for you, but you better do that for me. But prayer is not meant to be a negotiation or a way to manipulate God. God is our Heavenly Father. And just as a good parent enjoys talking to his or her child, God enjoys talking to us. Luke 11 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So we need to understand that God truly is our Heavenly Father. And if that's the case, then prayer should be from the heart. When I was growing up, mom would tell us that she preferred hand-drawn cards over store-bought cards because it showed that we cared and we put thought into it. And I think God is a little like that as well. He prefers to hear from you rather than cliched, prepackaged, Hallmark card messages. And if prayer is from the heart, then that means that we need to be authentic. That means that we reveal our raw, unfiltered emotions and thoughts. And so if we're upset or depressed, we tell God about it. Prayer is not about posturing or trying to put our best foot forward. When I was in college, I had a friend, let's call him Bob for his sake, who showed up uh, for a Sunday service dressed in his pajamas and with his hair sticking up. And I remember chuckling and seeing him and asking Bob what was going on. And he said that he had woken up late that morning, but that he had thought that it would be better to worship God in his pajamas than to miss that opportunity. And I remember inwardly laughing at him and self-righteously thinking, I would never be caught dead showing up at a Sunday service in my pajamas. And then the Holy Spirit started to gently convict me. While Bob was focused on God, I was focused on how I looked to others. And similarly, when we pray, we need to be real with God. We should pour out our hearts to God, and we're able to share our raw emotions. We don't need to use diplomatic terms or try to pretty up our language. We can just unload as we would do with a trusted friend that we know won't judge us. And we have good examples of this in the Bible. Psalm 69 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. Here we see David unashamedly crying out to God for help, and it's definitely not pretty. But nothing is off limits. It can be serious, like the grief and depression that you feel about losing a loved one. Or it could be a little less serious, like how disappointed you are that your team lost over the weekend to Notre Dame. 
Sorry, that was just being... I spent a lot of time last night praying to God about that, but anyway. Okay. So whatever is on your mind, have a conversation with God about it. Moving on to the fourth misconception. So prayer is a ritual to relieve guilt. And some of us were taught this when we were growing up, that if we sin, we need to say a certain number of prayers. But Matthew 6-7 warns, and when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And a ritual is defined as a religious or solemn ceremony consisting of a series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. And this is why some people are hesitant about praying, because they think that there is some set language or procedure that needs to be followed. And this is similar to how we discussed earlier about prayer not being a magic wand. It's not about going to Hogwarts so you can learn the spell to turn your wand into a flashlight if you've misplaced your iPhone. And just as we discussed earlier, again, prayer is not about saying some secret words like a spell or an incantation. That would be like saying when we talk to someone, do we need to say some scripted line or assume a certain position? And when we pray, do we need to kneel and teeble? But the truth is that prayer is powerful because of whom we are talking to. Prayer itself is not what relieves our guilt. God is. And prayer is simply a conversation with God. But we like to complicate it. We think that we need to add some religious-sounding words. And people will talk about the power of prayer. But why is prayer powerful? Again, it's because of whom we are talking to. And another thing. So when we talk about conversation, we mean a conversation, which means that we need to listen as well. And in this age of social media, we have been so, become so good at pontificating and spouting our informed or uninformed opinions. Who needs to listen to others? And as a result, I think that we have become less proficient at having a conversation. You see, the truth is that prayer is much harder than tweeting, posting, or pinning. Prayer is not a one-way communication not a monologue, the dialogue with God. Moving on to our fifth and final misconception. Only certain people can pray well. And so my prop for this one is Auntie Hazel and Auntie Sally, because sometimes we think that if we have a really serious prayer request, then we need to go to a really serious prayer warrior. And it's almost as though praying is like doing surgery 
or having your estate plan documents prepared. It should only be done by a qualified and licensed professional. The misguided thinking goes that there are certain people who have a black belt in prayer. And so if you're not a prayer warrior, then you should go to a prayer warrior if you really want your prayers answered. But the truth is that anyone can pray well. The reality is that learning to pray is like learning a language. And so if you're comprehending the words that are coming out of my mouth right now, then you already know how to learn a language. So how did you learn to speak English when you were a child? You listened to others, and then you tried it out on your own. And just as our parents were able to figure out what we were asking for, even if it wasn't the clearest, God is able to understand what we're praying for, even if it's not the most eloquent. And not only is it true that anyone can pray, but everyone should pray. And if we believe the lie that only certain people can pray well, it's like saying that only certain people can, can, can really eat or breathe well. It's, you know, so the rest of us shouldn't even try to eat or breathe. But from a spiritual perspective, prayer is as essential as eating or breathing. Prayer is fundamental to being a Christ follower. George MacDonald, a 19th century minister, pointed out, what if the main object in God's idea of prayer be the supplying of our great, our endless need, the need of himself? Hunger may drive the runaway child home, and he may or may not be fed at once, but he needs his mother more than his dinner. Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other need. Prayer is the beginning of that communion, and some need is the motive of that prayer. So begins a communion, a talking with God, a coming to one with him, which is the sole end of prayer. In other words, the importance of prayer is that we are able to be in communion with God, that we are able to be in fellowship with him, that we're able to be in relationship with him, that we're able to be embraced by him. And this is what God desires most from us. Following Christ is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And if prayer is about communing with God, then this should change the way that we pray. Dr. Larry Crabb, a psychologist and one of my favorite authors, has written about how we should replace me-centered prayer with relationally-centered prayer. Often, we will pray and jump straight into asking God for what we want which is called petitionary prayer. And then, if we remember, we might 
say a quick thank you and maybe briefly worship him. But Dr. Crabb is pointing out that we have the order mixed up. We should instead start by relating to God and worshiping God before we get to any petitions. Dr. Crabb writes, Unless we become as little children who approach our heavenly Papa just to be near him, something in our hearts will keep us confused and frustrated when we ask God for what we want. When relational prayer is in the center, it not only shapes our petitions, but also changes how we engage in every other kind of prayer. Only on the ground of relationship with God, restored through redemption and nourished through relational prayer, can we properly worship, unselfishly thank God for blessings, intercede for others, and ask things for ourselves. So what does this look like in practice? Here's an example of a me-centered prayer. Dear God, I ask that you would heal me of my sickness. I pray that you would guide me to the right doctor who can prescribe the best medication for me. I don't know how much longer I can deal with this, so help me, God. In contrast, here's an example of a relationally centered prayer. Dear God, I come before you and praise you for being my loving father. I thank you for how you've blessed me with my family and friends, and I come before you with my illness. Lord, you know how discouraged I am that I can't seem to overcome this, but I lay my sickness and frustrations at your feet and pray that you would be with me now. I humbly ask for your healing, but more importantly, would you be glorified in my life, even my weakness. And this reordering of relational prayer and worship before petitionary prayer makes all the difference. Going back to Psalm 37.4, which we talked about at the beginning of this message, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. By relating to God and worshiping God we are taking delight in the Lord. And we need to do this before we get to asking God for the desires of our heart. Because if we relate to God and worship God first, it will change what we ask for. And that is when God is able to start answering our prayers with a yes. So we started this message by having Ben Stiller show us what a prayer should not look like. So what does a prayer look like? Here's one example.
thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be safe from my enemies. Lord Jesus, would you help me? I need you. Lord, I feel like there's giants of fear and failure just staring down at me, waiting to crush me. And I don't know how to beat them, Lord. I'm tired of being afraid. Lord, if you want me to do something else, show me. If you don't want me to have children, so be it. But you're my God. You're on the throne. You're going to have my hopes and my dreams. Lord, give me something. Show me something. If the Lord never gives us children, will you still love him? So now that we have a better understanding of what prayer is really about, may we take concrete steps to make prayer a keystone habit in our daily routine. Because if we do so, it would transform your entire life. And that's the truth about prayer. Let's close. Dear God, we thank you for being our loving Heavenly Father. And we know that you love to talk to us because we are your children. You love to hear about what we are going through and what we are feeling. And we long to hear your voice. In the upcoming week, may we be purposeful and intentional in taking time to talk with you, to listen to you. May we not treat you like a magic wand or a fire extinguisher. And may we not treat prayer as though it were a tug of war with you or merely a ritual. But may we understand that prayer is about being in your presence and spending time with you. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.